Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn me to the, turn with me to the seventh chapter of Hebrews, as we continue in this series of messages entitled "Christ Above All." For the last several weeks, we have seen the writer of this book talking about the priesthood of Christ, that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, talking about uh, this this character Melchizedek who just sort of shows up in the Bible uh, with Abraham, uh, blesses Abraham, receives tithes from Abraham, and then disappears. There's no lineage, there's no historical data other than that. He's quoted again or, or mentioned again in the book of Psalms, and then he's mentioned again in the book of Hebrews, and that's it. But the writer of Hebrews pay, places great stock and great importance upon this man Melchizedek. Because it is Melchizedek to whom the writer parallels and talks about the, the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Now one of the great understandings of the ministry of Christ, and that's what he's concentrating on right here in these verses we've been looking at and are looking at today. One of the great offices is that of priest. The understanding of the ministry of Christ overall is that Jesus Christ serves not only as a priest but also as a prophet and also as a king. He is a royal priest, and he is a prophetic priest. He not only does the work of atonement that we'll talk about today, and we have been talking about, but he also does the work of proclamation. He proclaims and shows who God is and what God is like in a way that had never been before his time. He is also not only a prophet proclaiming that, he is also a king who reigns over the kingdom of God and over his own kingdom. And we will see that glorified and pictured a little later as we study this together. But right now, the importance that this writer is putting on Jesus' ministry is on his role as priest. Today, he starts moving a little bit and transitioning a little bit because he's going to show us that as priest, he has prepared for us and also guarantees for us a new covenant. I can't wait to get to chapter 8. Chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters in this book because in chapter 8, the writer, by quoting Jeremiah, unfolds the new covenant. He shows all that takes place in this new relationship that Jesus has established with us, with God, in his death, burial, and resurrection, and that new covenant is established in his blood. And to me, there's no greater beauty than understanding the glory of the new covenant. So we will look forward to doing that in, in the next few weeks. But today he's preparing us for that. The text today is verses 20 through 28 of chapter 7, but I want to start reading in verse 18 and kind of overlap a little bit with two weeks ago. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and its usefulness. For the law made nothing perfect. Remember that. Paul talked about that in Romans. The law makes no one perfect. The no law makes no one right with God. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for indeed they became priests without an oath, that is the Levitical priesthood, Theirs was by heredity. Theirs was obviously established by God, but it was not based on any oath of God for perpetuity. They became priests without an oath, but he, that is Christ, 
with an oath through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Psalm 110 verse 4 he's quoting. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priest on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus on the other hand because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, and this is important, here verse 25, therefore he, that is Jesus, is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. When the writer starts talking about this priesthood, he makes it clear that no matter how devoted or how obedient the Arianic priests, the Levitical priests were, they could not always meet the needs of the people. They were weak. They were in need themselves of help and of forgiveness. But Jesus Christ is promised here to meet our needs perfectly for all time. When it talks about him being such a high priest, became as us, he became a man like us, and he was suited to us. He meets our needs completely because of his perfection, because of his holiness. He, he describes him there uh, in these verses, in verse 26 particularly, uh, he says, for it is fitting for us, that is, it is good for us to have such a high priest who is holy, who is innocent, who is undefiled, who is separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. What a beautiful picture of Jesus that he gives there. He says, this is the kind of high priest we now have. Remember, you've got to always keep in mind who he's talking to here. He's talking to those Old, uh, those, those Jewish believers who were under the law, who were under the Levitical system, who had had sins, uh, their sins having sacrifices offered by human high priests over and over and over again, and they were making that a, a fact. They were, they were seeing that happen, and now they're struggling with the fact that, well, <clears throat> we have a high priest in Jesus, we're told, but you know, we don't see that happening every day. The Old Testament priests, the old Levitical priests, they go to the temple, they go there daily, and they offer some kind of sacrifice. Now, the high priest didn't offer sacrifices daily. His primary purpose was on the Day of Atonement, to offer sacrifice first for himself and then for the people. But he was over all of the, all of the sacrifices that were given every day in the, in the temple. <coughs> Excuse me, it was his responsibility to see that all the priests under the high priest 
carried out their responsibilities in keeping the fire burning within the, in the sacred place, in the holy place, with keeping the, the showbread on the table at all times so that it could be observed and so that these sacrifices would be a continual thing, a daily thing. And yet now they're looking at, at their, their lives and they're saying, we don't go through those rituals. We don't have those priests offering sacrifices every day. And the writer's saying, it's because you don't need it anymore. Those priests are imperfect. Those priests are like you. Those priests are men who have sins themselves. And sometimes you see them living very unholy lives. They are not perfect. But the priest that we have now, this high priest that we have interceding daily on our behalf in the heavenly places, he may not be doing it here, but this high priest is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. He's not a sinner and exalted above the heavens, lifted up and exalted above all men above all this universe in the heavenly places. He says that's the, kind of, that's the kind of high priest we have, this high priest, Jesus. He's a perfect high priest in every respect. But in these verses leading up to the introduction of the new covenant, the writer of the Hebrews makes some, some contrast. In verses 23 through 27 particularly, he's making these contrasts. He's talking about the old and then he brings in the new. He talks about the Levitical high priest and Jesus as the, and I, in my notes you can't see this, but in my notes I've got Jesus the, capital T, capital H, capital E, all caps, the high priest above all high priests, the one that really matters. And he makes about, oh, one, two, three, four, five comparisons or parallels or, or contrast in these verses in that. He says, first of all, in verses 23 and 24, he says, the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers. There were many of them. There had to be many of them because they died. They came to an end of their ministry and somebody had to pick up the torch and move forward. And so the high priest, through the years, there had been numbered as many. But as for this the high priest, Jesus, the high priest, there is only one. He says they were prevented from serving because they were by death, they were prevented from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Now, there is an, <clears throat> there's an allusion there to the resurrection. There's an allusion there to the fact that Jesus Christ, while he died as a sacrifice, gave himself as a sacrifice, he went into the grave, he stayed there three days, and on that third day the stone was rolled away and he came forth alive, resurrected, to live forevermore. The only one that ever did. Now you look at the New Testament, you say, well, there were other resurrections. There were at least a couple where Jesus raised the, the daughter of, the, uh, of Darius and where, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and he came forth out of the grave. And that's absolutely true. But those were different resurrections from the resurrection of Jesus because you can go today if you could find it and you could find a tomb where each of those are buried and their body remains, their bones remain. But with Jesus, you can't. He came out of that grave alive and then he ascended into heaven never to die again. He is an eternal living being because of his glory. And he's there in the heavenly places, exalted above them. So there was many priests under the Levitical system. There is only one in the new covenant. There's only one making sacrifices. The second contrast here that he makes in those same verses is that the Levitical high priest was a temporary matter. It came to an end. 
But Jesus' high priesthood is permanent and eternal. You see that contrast. One ended, one never ends. Then you also see in verses 26 and 27 where he's talking about it's fitting for us to have a high priest, like I've talked about, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated, exalted, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. In this Levitical high priest, he was a sinner, just like everybody else. He was a sinner who had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. When they would go in on the Day of Atonement, they could not offer sin, uh, sacrifice for the sins of the people until they had first offered sacrifice for their own sin, until they had been cleansed, until their sins had been cleansed away by that sacrifice. Then they could operate on behalf of the people because it was considered for a moment there that their sins were cleansed and they were perfect enough, they were cleansed enough to enter in and offer the sacrifice for the people. But that did not last because they sinned again and the people sinned again. But this sacrifice is not a, not a one that, where the one sacrificing has to offer sin, uh, a sacrifice for his own sins because he's holy and innocent. He offers sacrifices only for others. He, he does not sacrifice for himself because there is no need. The Levitical priest, fourthly, had to sacrifice daily. Verse 27 says, this one does not need to do it daily like the old one did. But rather his sacrifice is only once. Uh, now that's one of the, the problems we have with some other Christian groups, uh, Christian churches who come on a weekly basis, on a regular basis, and they observe the Lord's Supper as a mass. And, and what they say takes place there is they are re-sacrificing Christ. There is a re-sacrificing through the body and the blood of Christ over and over again. And that is absolutely and totally anathema to the new covenant. Totally different from anything that the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that Jesus Christ went to the cross. He died on the cross as a sacrifice once and for all. It never happens again because it was a perfect sacrifice. It was not deficient in any way. There was nothing needed to make it better. It was perfect. Also, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant priest, the Levitical priest, had to offer sacrificial animals. A, a, a lamb that was without blemish. Calves and doves and goats that were as near as they could tell, perfect. That they would bring and lay on an altar and would sacrifice to the Lord. Levitical priests sacrificed animals. The high priest, the new high priest, sacrifices no animal, offers no animal sacrifice, but rather he offers himself as the sacrifice. He gives himself. He places himself on the altar. You see, that's why, you know, a lot of times we Baptists will make a, a real terrible mistake. And I think it, it's more than just a semantical thing. We'll sometimes talk about this as being the altar. This is not an altar. 
We don't have altars in our churches. Altars are where sacrifices are made. We have a table of fellowship, a table where we have the Lord's Supper, but that's not an altar. The only altar that exists in the New Covenant is the altar of the cross. That's where the sacrifice was given, and that's where the sacrifice took place, and that sacrifice is never, ever repeated. So you can't have an altar call and call people to the front of a church because this is not an altar. The altar was 2,000 years ago. The altar was sufficient. The altar was complete because Jesus offered himself there. There's one other thing that's made mention about this sacrifice that, that's not in chapter 7, but rather in chapter 9. But I want in this parallel, I want, to, I want you to see it because it's verses 9, 11, and 12. And I'll, I'll come back to this more thoroughly in a few weeks. But there is a contrast given there. In verse 11 of chapter 9, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You see, the old priests, old high priests in the Levitical priesthood, they entered the holy places through a man-made tent and by means of the blood of calves and goats. If you remember in the tabernacle that we put up on the screens many weeks ago, when we first started talking about this concept of priesthood, there was the, the holy place that only the priests could go into. There was outer court where others would come the people would come, but there was a holy place where only the priests could go, and there was a veil there, there was an opening there, and they would go through that. But that veil, as beautiful as it was, and as well prepared by the definition of God that it was, was a man-made veil. The tabernacle was a man-made tent. Instructions got by God given, but it was man-made. And then they went into the inner veil that entered into the holy of holies made by man and the high priest would enter into there and he would be in a place that was designated as a meeting place with God. But all of that was made by human hands. Jesus, the high priest, entered the holy place, that is the very presence of God in the heavenly places, the presence of God by means of his own blood that no man constructed, no man built, no man created. It was created by God and by God alone. What the writer is trying to do here is he's trying to show us the perfection and, if you will, the betterness of this new high priest. And he's saying to these people, why in the world would you even think about going back to the old high priest, which is temporary, which is sinful, which is in need of their own sacrifices? Why would you ever go back to those who are imperfect when you have the perfect high priest forever? Verse 25. He gets into the practical nature of this priesthood. After contrasting it, comparing it, showing the difference in it, he says, therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. We could, we could camp there for about two months and not exhaust the meaning and the power of these verses. It's really, a, if you will, an allusion back to some words of Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews does that on, a, on several occasions throughout what we're about to look at. But do you remember John 14, 6? <clears throat> Where Philip said to him as he's preparing them for his departure, and he says, Lord, if you'll just show us where you're going, then we'll be all right. If you'll show us the way. And Jesus looked at them and he said, Philip, don't you understand? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no woman, no human being anywhere at any time, any place comes to the Father except through me. And then the writer here says that, that he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. That's the only way to draw near to God. It's only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Those other sacrifices don't give a relationship with the living God. This sacrifice that he gives gives an eternal relationship that never ends and never stops with the God of all creation through his son, the high priest, Jesus Christ. That's important to understand. I think he's also alluding to the fact that Jesus said in, in John chapter 6 and John chapter 10 when he talks about he's able to save forever. When Jesus said, if you are in me, then you are also in the Father and you are in the Spirit and the Spirit's protecting you and you are in the Father's hand and no one is able to snatch you from the Father's hand. Now, he's been giving warning after warning after warning of not about turning away. But here he's making it clear that if you have drawn near through him to God, that Jesus Christ is able to save forever those who draw near. It's like what Peter said when he said in 1 Peter 1, we are kept by the power of God. We are protected. We are preserved. We are held fast by the power of God. This salvation is not a salvation you, you earn. It's not a salvation you get on your own merit. Not at all. It's a salvation that comes through the work and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And he is able to save forever those who come to him. So if you come to me, Jesus said, if you come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. If you come to me, you're in me. You are in Christ for now and forevermore. This is the, this is the practical nature of the priesthood. This is his practical oversight. This is the kind of high priest we need. We are prone to sin daily, even hourly, even minute by minute. And we need to be able to turn to a, a high priest for spiritual help. And as our high priest, Jesus Christ gives us the grace and the mercy that we need to overcome sin as we draw near. As we become, as, as, as the choir sang earlier, as we become more like him. As we become more like the one who is our high priest. John said in 1 John 2, he said, if we do sin, he is our advocate at God's throne. He's our defense attorney, if you will, pleading our case and saying, Father, judge, he is covered by my righteousness. He belongs to me. 
If we confess our sins, then he restores us into fellowship, John 1, 1 John 1, 9 says. The application is obvious. How dare, how dare we even think about turning away from such an adequate and super abundant, merciful, gracious high priest. Why would you turn away from that when you have perfection? Why would you go back to any imperfection? What more can you find in any other person? The men who served under the law of Moses had human infirmities and weaknesses, and they often failed, they often sinned. Look at Nadab and Abihu. They were priests. They were sons of the high priest. And yet, they decided to do it their own way one day. And they went and offered strange fire before the Lord. And, and God didn't say, well, you know, guys, you got to work on that. But because of their sin, they were consumed by the fire. But we have a high priest who, when we sin, says, I have covered them. I am carrying them. I am protecting them. And they are mine. And we have that forevermore. Our heavenly high priest has been perfected evermore, according to 728. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, that is Psalm 110.4, that this writer quotes over and over again, the Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, David quoted the Lord after the law appoints a son perfect forever, made perfect forever. He is not only adequate, he is super abundantly perfect to meet our every need. You know, I, I heard what Bev shared, that Chris Tomlin shared. Uh, at the passion and I thought about that old crusty producer who after seeing these orphan children who had come to know the Lord and sang about the glory of Christ and, and by the way we were all who were in Christ once orphans but we were adopted into his family in the new covenant we'll talk about that in, in weeks to come but Think about that. We were all orphans, but we were adopted into his family by his goodness and by his grace. And that producer looked at them and saw the glory of Christ in their life and said, I want what they've got. They don't have it of their own initiative. They don't have it of their own being. They have it because the grace of God has infiltrated their lives and they have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. They have it on the basis of their high priest. And you have the same thing if you're in Christ. But I wonder, and I'll close with this. I intended to close totally differently, but I'm going to close with this. I wonder, when people look at you, Do they say, wow, I want what he's got. I want what she's got. Now, they may look at you and say, I want that because you've got earthly riches. Then you failed. 
How are you living your life in light of your great high priest? How is he changing you daily in such a way into his image that when people see you, when people hear you, when people talk to you, they say, wow, you serve a great God. You serve a mighty Savior. You have a great high priest, and I want what you've got. I want that high priest interceding for me. I, I want that righteousness of Christ covering me. I want that life that God has given you. I want to know it. Because it's different. Different from anything I've ever seen. What do people want from you? What do people want in their life that's like your life? Let's pray. Jesus, Messiah. Name above all names. Blessed Redeemer. Emmanuel, God with us. High Priest and Savior. Sacrificer and Sacrifice in the same person. Oh, Father, show us the glory of Christ. Let us live in light of that glory. Let us reflect that glory. Let us let people see Christ covering us when we work, when we play, we do whatever we're doing. Oh, what a sacrifice. Oh, what a sacrificer. Oh, what a savior. Father, I pray for men and women here this morning that don't have a great high priest. Matter of fact, they're trying to be their own priest. They're trying to atone for their own sin. They're trying to make things right in their own way. And that can never happen. Pray, Lord, you'll show them the high priest, Jesus, today. Father, we thank you. We adore you. We ask you to do your work in men and women's lives here, even in believers' lives, Lord this very day. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.